millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, February 25th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a look back and forward at Jackson's water problems. Then a conversation with Education Superintendent Carrie Wright. And we talk with Secretary of State Michael Watson in the wake of the state settlement with a cryptocurrency app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A year ago, a record-setting winter storm swept through Jackson. Pipes froze and a major water plant shut down. Hundreds of thousands of residents were left without running water, some for up to a month. The Gulf States Newsroom's Bobby Jean Missick reports the city has dealt with water issues for decades. We'll hear Bobby Jean's story now, and then later she speaks with Mississippi Edition producer Rob Blaine. Charles Williams Jr.'s desk is covered in papers. He's Jackson's city engineer. Boxes line one wall of his office. Reams of industrial drawings are rolled up against another. It looks like chaos, but he knows where everything is. All of these on this wall right here are water-related projects, drainage, bridges, wastewater. He's been with the department for 20 years and is all too familiar with Jackson's water woes. For years, aging pipes have led to leaks, Previous storms caused water main breaks, and last February... We knew cold weather was coming in, and so we really thought that it was going to get very cold, we'll get a little ice or snow, and then it would get out. But two winter storms hit back-to-back in a matter of days, and the water system was completely knocked out. Number of calls for low water pressure or just no water at all, it was crazy. Williams tried to keep everyone on his team calm during the weeks that followed. But this was the most challenging moment in all his years with Jackson's Public Works Department. From a personal level, just seeing people suffer like that, it was, that was tough. So, yeah, it was like, where can we find water? That's Bayless McDaniels. She was living with her daughters and grandchildren in an apartment in South Jackson when the winter storm hit and the water pressure started to drop. That was the beginning of a month-long daily search for water. Water flushing toilets. We had to have water to take baths, water to cook with, water to do everything in. McDaniel says the stores quickly ran out of bottled water. She relied on friends who lived in nearby counties to bring water in and on churches that were distributing bottles. On a windy day in February, volunteers with the community organization Operation Good are handing out water to South Jackson residents concerned about contaminants, including lead, in the water. 
The group worked all over the city during the crisis last year. Gino Womack is the program director. He drove me around the area on the anniversary of the storm. South Jackson was the last place to get water, so we really took care of the majority of the people in this part of town. And South and West Jackson have the largest black populations and the highest poverty levels in the city. South Jackson residents like Bayless McDaniels have grown used to getting boil water notices from the city regularly when the water pressure gets low and the risk of contamination is high. Even when there's not an alert, McDaniels and her family don't trust the tap water for drinking or cooking, only bathing. They bathe in, in the dirt water. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> that's what it tastes like, dirt. McDaniels has lived in Jackson all her life, but the water, along with high crime rates and other issues, have left her with a bad taste for the city as a whole. And she can't take much more. Probably within the next six months, I'm leaving. Residents have been leaving in droves for decades, in part due to the city's underfunded infrastructure. But federal dollars are on the way. The city has already received $8 million from the American Rescue Plan for a project to improve water access in South Jackson. And $75 million from the Infrastructure Act has been designated for Mississippi's water and sewage systems. But it's not all for Jackson. And even if it was, city engineer Charles Williams says it's not enough. We're grateful for the $75 million, but our needs exceed 75 He says every little bit helps, but he'd rather see a steady flow of funding instead of one lump sum. With the long list of needs, from plants to pipes to personnel, it's only a drop in the bucket. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Bobby Jean Mizick. And Bobby Jean Misick joins us now to talk more about this story. She covers justice, race, and equity for the Gulf States Newsroom, which is a collaboration among public media stations in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. Welcome, Bobby. Thank you. So you mentioned the lack of investment in the city of Jackson. This is something that's pretty clear being here on the roads, and we in the city even get boil water notices from time to time. And a lot of people have left the area. Many more, like the folks you talked to in your story, are planning to leave. Yeah, this is something that I talked about with Gino Womack. He's the program director of community organization Operation Good. And as he was driving me around South Jackson, he pointed out that some areas look like a ghost town. You can see all the abandoned buildings. And you can right. see all the businesses closed. That, that used to be thriving. That was thriving. That was a bank gone. That, that was a daycare. They live. That's the wind is they gone. Okay, so there are federal funds coming from both the American Rescue Plan and the Infrastructure Act, but it almost feels like a ticking clock because at the same time weather is also getting more extreme, right? Yes, climate change is changing the weather that Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana are equipped for. A more active hurricane season is threatening the power grid in New Orleans and other coastal cities. And the water treatment plant in Jackson, like in other cities down south, is open to the elements versus cities in the north that are used to freezing temperatures and have their systems covered. When I talked to city engineer Charles Williams, he was the public works director during the storm last year, He says the city may have to rethink how the facilities are set up. 
are we using the right materials? Do we need to start covering our water systems and wastewater systems so they won't be crippled during these type of events? There is a plan to cover one section of it, okay. and, and so we'll see how that goes. Bobby Jean Missick covers justice, race, and equity for the Gulf States Newsroom, which is a collaboration among public media stations in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we talk with Secretary of State Michael Watson in the wake of the state's settlement with a cryptocurrency app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Republican U.S. Senators Roger Wicker and Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi are co-sponsoring legislation to increase U.S. natural gas production to reduce global reliance on Russian energy sources. A press release says the Mississippi Gulf Coast is a growing export point for liquefied natural gas. Also, Wicker spoke at the Organization on Security and Cooperation in Europe Assembly yesterday, calling Putin a modern-day Hitler, saying the U.S. and NATO must work to provide more aid to Ukraine as it fights the Russian invasion. Wicker is in line to be the ranking member of the Senate Armed Force Services Committee. Mississippi advocates are pressing state lawmakers to pass reentry program legislation to help people who've been incarcerated with services to return home successfully. MPB's Brittany Brown has that story. Advocates lined the stairwell of the Capitol Rotunda, holding signs that read, four out of five individuals who leave incarceration will return at some point in the future. Far too often people leave prison without having access to reentry services. This is why reentry service providers have made it our mission to reduce barriers and make sure our community members return successfully and safely. Sinetra Freeman is founder of the Mississippi Center for Reentry. Her organization, along with other reentry groups like New Way Mississippi and the Reach Foundation, gathered at the state capitol yesterday, calling on lawmakers to pass bills that will reduce recidivism and help formerly incarcerated people transition into society. After leaving prison, I could not get the resources to help me reintegrate properly back into society. That's Pauline Rogers, founder of the Reach Foundation. The coalition of reentry organizations are urging lawmakers to pass three bills. One bill would keep people from accruing child support debt while in prison. Another would establish more work release programs across the state. And the third bill would streamline information between probation and parole officers, formerly incarcerated people, and their employers. We ask lawmakers to keep these bills alive and support smart solutions to the issues faced in our criminal legal system. The ACLU of Mississippi helped organize this advocacy event and continues to assemble organizations from across the state to increase reentry support for incarcerated people. Brittany Brown, MPB News. Still ahead, we talk with Secretary of State Michael Watson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Secretary of State Michael Watson has announced Mississippi is one of 32 states partaking of a $100 million settlement with the cryptocurrency brokerage app BlockFi. The settlement relates to crypto offerings made to Mississippians. Secretary Watson speaks with MPB's Rob Lane. Starting in 2019, uh, this group called BlockFi Lending started offering and selling interest-bearing digital asset accounts, and they're, they're called BlockFi interest accounts. And so some Mississippians did uh, engage in that, and it deals with cryptocurrency. Uh, so basically just a, a kind of a, a generic uh, understanding of, of what happened here. You own cryptocurrency, uh, you deposit them into this uh, business's account, they then start lending them and try to earn uh, interest on that, and then obviously you make money based on the interest and, and the work that they're doing to, to grow that account. So... Uh, that's that's what was happening. Uh, they failed to register with Mississippi uh, as well as the SEC, and uh, that was obviously uh, breaking the law. So it was found uh, Texas, I believe, was the first state to find this issue, uh, not with BlockFi, but with a different uh, cryptocurrency group, same type of operation. Uh, and so uh, on some calls between states, uh, Texas basically gave the heads up, and other states started looking into this, uh, and that's exactly how we got to where we are today. And so is this fundamentally a question of paperwork that wasn't done, or do you do you have reason to believe that this company, if they had sought a license, they wouldn't have been able to get one because, for whatever reason, their practices were outside the scope of what they would have been allowed to do in the state? No, I absolutely believe that they could do what they're doing. And as a matter of fact, they're undergoing that currently uh, to get registered, to, to do business properly with the SEC as well as the state's. Uh, and you're going to see many other groups along the same lines do the same thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was one recently that announced and, and basically gave BlockFi a pat on the back saying, look, we appreciate you shining a light on this, making sure that we understood the ropes here uh, so we could operate properly and legally. And, again, I think you're going to see many of these entities come online, registering with the SEC as well as the states uh, and offering their products. So over the past week or so, BlockFi has received within the state and beyond some headlines that could probably be, you know, described as perhaps bad press. But you wouldn't say that you you wouldn't discourage Mississippians from using BlockFi services in the future. You know, cryptocurrency obviously is incredibly volatile. And one of the things that I think people need to understand is to do your homework. And that's one of the purposes for registering where folks can go and look at this information and and research. Who's doing this? What are they doing? make sure I understand who I'm giving my money to uh, or investing my money in uh, to then turn around and make a profit. So that's that's one of the purposes of them registering with our state so folks can understand who they're doing business with and how they're conducting that business. Uh, so, no, I, you know, I, I think depending on your appetite for, for risk and your appetite for uh, being engaged in, in cryptocurrency investment, uh, obviously it's, it's something that is going to be a registered entity. It's something that's going to be moving forward. And I think you're going to see a number of folks investing in it. Okay. On another note, uh, your office recently released the new Mississippi Blue Book. What can you tell us about that? Yes. So uh, we're really excited about it. It is an absolutely beautiful book. Uh, The Bullitzy Lighthouse is on the cover this year uh, with the new state flag uh, draped over the lighthouse. So it is 
eye-catching, uh, to, to say the least. Beautiful cover there, and we, we produced uh, roughly about 5,000 copies, and typically those go to legislators and judges and circuit clerks and elected officials, but also anyone in the public who wants to request one. And I think the important thing in, in it is, obviously, it's a registry of information, and then folks can understand, you know, who is my elected official, how do I get in touch with them, uh, phone numbers, emails, addresses. Uh, so it's very helpful for individuals to engage uh, in their with their elected representatives and senators and uh, every other elected official in the state. So uh, not only that, uh, there's other information about Mississippi. So we've got different sections in there dealing with education, with military, with health care, with natural resources, with elections, things that people need to know about Mississippi. And, uh, you know, too many times I think we don't believe in ourselves quite enough. Uh, so it's it's books like these where we can do some research and understand the great things that are happening in Mississippi uh, to, to help us with that confidence to go forward and tell the great story that is Mississippi. And if you'd like one, how can you get one? Yeah, so you can reach out to our office. Uh, the email is publications at sos.ms.gov, or you can call 601-359-6344. We are pretty well into the legislative session now. Anything you're keeping an eye on, either something that you take significant personal interest in or some anything that you feel is of particular significance to your office and how it might operate moving forward? Yeah, we, we've got several pieces over there. I think the centerpiece, the one that we're, we're mostly focused on, is our election integrity package. And I really appreciate Speaker Gunn uh, and the House for passing that out and, and basically uh, a couple of pieces uh, in that in that package that I want to make sure that we highlight. Number one, uh, dealing with um, voter roll maintenance, making sure that our voter rolls are clean. Uh, I think that should be a, a nonpartisan issue. Uh, everyone should want clean voter rolls. Uh, the second piece that I would talk about amongst several others that are in there, but it deals with making sure that only United States citizens are voting in our elections. Uh, this is a piece that several other states have addressed, and, and you know, we did our research and found out you know, what's constitutional, what's legal, uh, what can we do here in Mississippi to make sure that we're uh, restoring the confidence in our elections, specifically to whether or not uh, there are any illegal immigrants participating in elections. And you've seen these stories. I saw one from Vermont today. I've seen them from California, from New York where non-citizens are being allowed to vote. So it's a growing issue, and it's one that we needed to address. So that's in there as well. And, again, a couple of other pieces. But I really appreciate uh, the House and the good work that they're doing. They sent that legislation over to the Senate. Uh, a few other pieces that are out there, but that's the one that's really got our attention right now. Some parties, of course, concerned that if that bill passes, um, if it becomes law, that uh, sort of a, a pretty sweeping, a pretty aggressive weeding out of the voter rolls could result in some people getting bumped off who shouldn't have been, and they would then sort of need to engage in this sort of bureaucratic process to get back on. Is that something you're concerned about, and are you able to sort of make any assurances to those folks that your office will be able to handle a potential influx of uh, requests to get back on the rolls? Well, first and foremost, I 1,000% disagree with that. Uh, it is what we're doing is codifying basically what is federal practice now. Uh, in, in Mississippi, we do not have the statutory voter roll maintenance program. We rely on the NVRA, which is a federal law, uh, and current Mississippi practice that's been ongoing for several years, uh, you know, years and years and years. We're basically codifying that into Mississippi statute. And the reason why that's very important is if you watch what's happening in Washington, D.C., if this, for somehow or some way, this uh, federal takeover of elections were to pass and Mississippi did not have anything in statute, we would not have a leg to stand on to challenge the idea that states should be the ones, uh, you know, making election law for, for their state elections. So it's an important piece in that route. But uh, to your assertion there, 
absolutely not. That's that's not going to be happening. Uh, the current way that election commissioners and, and circuit clerks, to some extent, maintain those voter rolls is going to continue. It's just putting that into statute, making sure, again, that we have a leg to stand on should we ever have to challenge that. And again, just briefly, what you labeled an assertion, I mean, that's what I've heard from talking to other folks involved in this. I obviously do not take a stance on the matter. Um, House Bill 33, campaign finance reform, it would require expanded disclosures from candidates running for public office about uh, what money they're getting and where they're receiving it from. Your office would be in charge of that. Is that legislation you're watching? It is, absolutely. And one of the things that we wanted to make sure that that was in that legislation is that it was filed electronically. Uh, obviously, if you had thousands of reports coming in, uh, we wouldn't have enough folks uh, to upload those into the, the searchable database that we're actually working on now. Uh, and so what we've told the legislature is, listen, if you're going to do that, and we're for, we're for sunshine, absolutely 100%, but if you're going to do that, let's make sure that they're filing these electronically uh, so we can make sure that we keep up with it and, and make sure that folks can search that. And that's, a, that's an easier way to do it. That's how the FEC does it, when you can come in online and search reports and making sure that you understand who's giving who money. And uh, if, if votes are, are switching or changing or you know whatever, you can trace that back to, to possibly uh, someone having influence uh, based on campaign uh, finance uh, considerations. Uh, hopefully that's not happening. But again, making sure that we have a searchable database is something we're working on uh, for the future and, and making sure that the electronically filed would make that much easier on our office. Michael Watson is Mississippi's Secretary of State. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Have a good weekend.